to Exploring Sovereignty with Elizabeth, and we are in studio today with Tony Sane, who is one heart-centered thought leader who has made a lot of difference in this world, and we're excited to be speaking with him today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Thanks for coming. Um, Tony, you've... um, your part of your pathway uh, exploring sovereignty and um, finding different ways of becoming free started with soccer, and um, or at least I think it did. <laughs> and uh, I'm curious, like, when did you first? Uh, so, Tony, tell us a little bit. You've played professional soccer. I played for a long time. Yeah. I, yeah. I, uh... I ended up, I mean, the highlight of my career was I played in the World Cup with USA, but I played, you know, all my life, and I retired when I was 39, and um, so I had a 17-year pro career, so the game was really good to me. Excellent. How did you start in the game? So I started in the game, my dad's from West Africa, and uh, when I was six years old, they sent me to visit my grandparents, um, and then I ended up staying with distant relatives, and they sort of just kept me there. And uh, every time we send a plane ticket, they would just take it and cash it in. So um, in today's world, you may say I was kidnapped. Um, back then, they didn't have telephones. Um, you had to send telegrams or make an appointment at a call center. So my mom was really like didn't know how she was going to get me back and didn't want to leave her other son here. Um, so I ended up um. staying there for two and a half years. But, you know, after like three months, um, you know, they were like, you can't speak English anymore because you're not learning the language and you have to do something. And, you know, in our compound, we really didn't have kids. And so then we went, I would go out, they said, go out to the street. And I tell people like, you know, in Africa, kids do three things, you know, they play soccer and they play soccer and they play soccer. So (laughs) I I went out in the street in front of my house and um, befriended some people and Again, soccer, you know, learning to play soccer helped me, you know, connect with that community and that culture. And, you know, within like, you know, six weeks, you know, we had a team. I think there was five of us, but we we called ourselves something and we had a we tie dyed our our white T-shirts and we made our own soccer team of the five of us on our block. And so we started to play soccer. Amazing. Where what was that like to I mean, were you homesick at all? During that time? Yeah, I think... How old were you? I mean, I was six. Um, You know, I was one week into first grade. Um, You know, I think when you're, you know, at that age, you know, you probably, you know, go through a lot of trauma and attachment issues. Um, But you also build an incredible resilience. Mm -hmm. um, And you learn probably different survival skills. And I would say my sense of community is probably from starting, you know to have to sort of reinvent myself um, and get to know new people, new customs, new things at such an early age and really appreciate with whatever I had and what was around me instead of, you know, think about, you know, that there was no more Santa Claus or that I wasn't getting to see my mother, Um, you know, so I had to adapt. So, you know, I was was a happy kid um, from what I hear, but um, I... You know, I definitely grew up fast. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I I learned how to survive. And I think I also learned how to connect with people, though. For sure. Yeah. I mean, that is a beautiful survival skill that came from that moment. Um, but it couldn't have been always easy, for sure. 
being far from your mom and and over uh, with your extended relatives. Right, and kids are resilient, and mm-hmm. and I and I was, and you know, I'm sure there were good days and bad days, and um, lucky enough for me that there was always people um, that that you know made sure that I felt cared for, mm-hmm. um, that were present, you know, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's why I was able to like grow and develop. For sure. What kind of soccer was it like over there? Well, we play with this little ball, um, and it, it was kind of normal. So the ball was like, you know, it was a little bigger than a softball. Right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'd put two rocks down in the street, and that was the goal. And then you'd play like kind of like two on two or three on three, and then like winter stays. So you just play pickup, you know, it was on concrete, you know, but they had an open sewer system. So like down the side of the streets, you know, the ball would go in the gutter, and you'd have to go get it, and it was literally in like the sewage system and – um, you know, and I remember like trying to juggle and we, we, you know, we practiced juggling and I remember like it was a big deal when I got to six, um, <laughs> that is a big deal and, uh, with this ball. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, it was sort of word of mouth watching the older kids and, and reinventing yourself. Um, and you know, I, I played a lot after I learned and, um, you know, you played, you didn't have shoes, so you played with flip-flops or sandals or barefoot. And I remember at one point um, my legs got infected and I had boils up and down my, my legs and I had to go and um, stay in the bed for a couple of weeks because everything had to be kind of bandaged and and cleaned out and, and healed because of just the sewage, the waste. And my immune system wasn't, you know, really meant for that. And um, so, I, you know, it, it's street soccer in its fullest. It's barefoot, it's concrete. Um, you know, you, I, you know, I wonder now how sensitive my, my feet are, but, um, back then, like, you, you know, the ground was the ground. Right. Yeah. Well, and you probably learned such a different way to interact with the ball from that, um, experience of playing barefoot that many years. Yeah, I think so. And then you also, you know, culturally you watch people play with a different set of skill sets. So when you learn sort of organically from watching people, um, and I don't really know the word for it, right? Like I think in, in America it's very technical. We see it on TV, but everything's very structured, right? And this is, you know, completely informal. And so you see, you know, the the pieces that, that make the game um, beautiful, um, the expressiveness, the creativeness, the, you know, identity that, that, you know, every young person like has like their favorite move or something that they – they master and that's, you know, and it may only be one thing and that's their trick. And so, you know, you kind of get a reputation for just that one trick that you do really well and everybody watches out for and and you just like it and you keep practicing it. So um, it, it's also kind of self-identifies you too. Like you you pick a move that, that you think like uh, makes you happy and that identifies with your spirit and um, and you build on it. What was your signature move? From then, or maybe it still is now. You know, I think um, I, I would do like a lot of pullbacks, mm-hmm. right? So, like when when in trouble, I would just I would I would do a lot of pullbacks. I would get in trouble and you know just bottom my foot, pull it back, and go somewhere else. Like, but but very quickly. Um, and so that was kind of my get out of trouble move. <laughs> Are you still in touch with any of those five guys you played with? 
No, I went to. I think I, I went. I was in Africa the last time I was was right before COVID in I think 2019. Um, and uh, you know, I went where where my house was. It, it's more of a warehouse district now. And then I went out to the country where my grandpa lived, and there was one or two kids that that knew me growing up. Um, I mean, it's literally 45 years later, so. Um, we all look different, but um, you know they they sort of reinforce that you know that's all I love to do is play soccer and um, and they said you know but I was also like really protective of my team and um, they told me I did get in a lot of fights. <laughs> it's good to it's good to protect your yeah. your friends. Well, I think and I was teased a lot, right? Because you know here you know I was the only African American kid in my class there. You know, they they would call me white bay or half caste or mixed or you know, or orphan because my parents weren't around and just a number of different different things um, to try to you know as kids do and to try to get under my skin. So, um, you know, I was I come from like a warrior lineage called Kabu you know Kabu nunchos nunchos are are you know they're known to have dirty knees because they they fight to the death and they won't. You know, dying old is one of the things that they look down on because it means that you stop fighting too early. Oh. Um, so this was, you know, my my defense me- mechanism whenever I was teased was reminding people, you know, where my family's from and what I was, and um, that you know I had no problem fighting. That's, I mean, it's stunning, really, and um, it it speaks to just how that. Um, spirit within you carried you during those years that you were over there. So then how did you end up, um, you said you were there for two years, two and a half, two and a half. And then how did your mom finally, um, get get me back? Yeah. Get Um, you back. I mean, I think eventually she gave up and so she sold everything she owned Mm. and she told them that like, you know, she was going to come over there and figure stuff out with her and my other brother, to make sure that the family was together. Mm. Um, and she was really nervous about going over there without my brother because, you know, she didn't want to, like, all of a sudden be traveling across the world and have two kids, you know, yeah. without her. So I think she was so nervous about leaving my brother alone. So she sold everything and was like, and then uh, a couple of weeks later, I think they put me on a plane back to America. And when I went there, I went by myself, by the way. Like, I didn't. You flew over there by yourself? Yeah. Like wow! I, I went through London and Dakar, and yeah, like, that doesn't really happen now. But no, it you know, doesn't. To, to go, you know, internationally, twenty six hours as a six. For sure. Yeah. I mean, right now you still you hand, hand your kid to a flight attendant, right. and then they walk you gate to gate when that goes on. Yeah, that's pretty adventurous. That you would have like. Were you nervous when you did that, when you went through, like, flew by yourself? No. I mean, you do have one of those things on your neck, and, like, you, they do have flight attendants that, like, would meet you or you talk to them and when you get to different places. Um, you know, at first I really didn't want to go, and my younger brother did because I was really excited about going into the first grade and, like, being in community. And so, you know, it was, like, a big deal for me is, like, I'm going back to school, you know, I'm going to do good. And so I didn't really want to go, so it was more like, okay, I have to go. And then, then it was just like the not knowing. And back then, you know, like all you thought, like when you thought about Africa was like jungles and lions. And so there was, you know, really, you know, no expectation of what, what things were actually going to be like. What part of Africa? Uh, the Gambia. 
So West Africa, it's a very small country, kind of nestled inside of Senegal. It's a beautiful, beautiful country. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, and then, so you, your mom gets you back. You fly back by yourself? Uh, no, they actually, um, they actually put a cousin on the plane with me. So um, then when I arrived back, my mom's like, oh, you, I have another person to take care of. So it was another high school student, um, and it was very hard to get visas. So they got a visa for one of my cousins, and she came to live with us um, and went to high school in, in St. Paul as well. So we flew back together and um, you know, started back in school. Started back in school. And then were you in first grade as an eight-and-a-half-year-old? No, surprisingly. So I stayed in – so when I was in Africa, I went a whole year without going to school. And then the second year, they're like, well, we don't really know what's going to happen. So then they enrolled me in school. So I went to school there for like a year, a year and three months. Um, and I left basically after kindergarten. When I came back, um, they put me back with the, my same students that I left with. Oh, wow. So they were just like, oh, this is the class you're in. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that they put me right back in my class. So, um, you know, when I was in Did Af- you recognize anyone? No, I switched schools. So okay. I was at Phelan and then I moved to Parkway um, on the east side. But so um, – but in Africa, the, in their school system, you know, they were really advanced in like math. So I was able to keep up and even excel like in math because that was easy. But I had forgotten all English, and so the other classes were much harder for me, and that's where I was I was kind of behind because I had to relearn English. Oh, wow. Yeah. How long did that take? Uh, some would say I'm still learning. You know, <laughs> you know. And, you know, because of it, I started to mumble a lot um, because I wasn't sh- exactly sure what I was saying, so I would, like, speak under my breath a lot because I didn't – I wanted to say something, but I didn't want to be wrong, so I would kind of muffle it. Um, yeah, school's an interesting yeah. place for that, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you want to say something, but you don't want to be the kid that says something wrong. Right. And then to have the language challenge or gift of knowing two languages, right. is um, that could be intense. And so were you still playing soccer when you came back? Well, I, I didn't for a while. Um, and I played with like the local parks every – like, you know, and then um, – for like a couple of years, like I would play like for Parker and Rec. Um, and so, and I was pretty good. And then um, I went to summer school to take English classes. And my brother went to SPA and I went to school on the east side. And so during summer school, um, the guy running the soccer course was Buzz Lagos. Mm. And so he was like, hey, I, I coach on this team called the Blackhawks. You know, do you want to play? And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I'll ask my mom. And so my mom <laughs> said, sure. And so, you know, I became best friends with his son, Manny, from when we were 11. And um, that was my first year, you know, on the team. And he's like, you got different kind of talent and skills than we, we normally see. And um, and then that journey started. That's amazing. Well, we're going to return to that and uh, explore that a little bit more after this break. This is Exploring Sovereignty with Elizabeth and uh, guest host, guest Tony Sane, and uh, we're going to be back in a moment. I'm Elizabeth Sullivan, owner of Soma Soul Sovereignty. 
I teach people to transform and heal their bodies, minds, and spirits and manifest higher consciousness. My hope with Soma Soul Sovereignty is that you open up to the power to heal yourself. We believe the power to heal is within each of us. It supports us coming home to ourselves and our authenticity. The alchemy of Soma Yoga, Ayurveda, energy medicine, and multidimensional healing is a synergistic approach that supports this self-healing state within and around us. It is filled with common sense and a deep understanding of the beauty for life and consciousness. It reminds us that our true divine nature is light aligned with love, and when we orientate toward it, much releases, heals, and transforms. Experience the power and freedom within and ways to support your body, mind, and spirit being unified. Soma Soul Sovereignty, awaken to your light within. For more information, visit elizabethsullivan.love or somasoulsovereignty.com. That's somasoulsovereignty.com. Would you like to create more freedom in your life? Developing higher consciousness and sovereignty is the currency for that freedom. Transformation expert Nancy Claremont Cart with the Joy Effect empowers leaders to transform their lives and impact using conscious leadership principles. Nancy is offering a transformational eight-week group coaching program, Conscious Leadership Transforms, starting October 24th to help leaders create more joy, abundance, and freedom. Register now at nancyclaremontcart.com. At the School for Higher Consciousness, we are committed to raising the level of consciousness on the planet by educating and empowering people to grow, evolve, and live well. We are dedicated to supporting people through this critical time on the planet. Our classes provide a path that deeply connects you to your inner power and higher levels of consciousness. We inspire, teach, and empower people to develop the skills and practices needed to energetically heal, grow, and connect more fully to their life purpose. Learn more at schoolforhigherconsciousness.com, schoolforhigherconsciousness.com. At some point, we've all probably felt like we're stuck in a rut when it comes to our health. Whether it's something physical, digestive, or emotional, you may have even gone to the doctor only to feel like the root causes weren't being addressed. So why not try another approach? This is Dr. Erica Way with Beyond Chiropractic. I'm a holistic practitioner that will take the time to empower you to transform so you can manifest your optimal life. At Beyond Chiropractic, we use QNRT, Quantum Neuro Reset Therapy. QNRT resets the brain's response to emotional triggers by addressing past and present trauma. By resetting the brain's response to emotional trauma, you can clear the way for your physical body to heal. Don't let unresolved issues hold you back. Go to beyondchiropractic.com and discover the answers your health deserves. Find out more and how to book an appointment at beyondchiropractic.com. Does your child struggle with sensory issues? Do they fight getting dressed in the morning or are they anxious to go to school? Are they easily overwhelmed and overstimulated by lights and sounds? At Whole Family Chiropractic, we love helping parents understand why their child is struggling and more importantly, how to help. We use safe, gentle, and effective neurologically based chiropractic to help your child's brain feel calm, safe, and organized. For more info, visit sensoryhelpmn.com. That's sensoryhelpmn.com. This is Exploring Sovereignty with Elizabeth, and we're in studio with Tony Sane, the U.S. World Cup player and the CEO and founder of the Sane Foundation. And Tony, we were just talking, you know, about as we left the last segment about how you got invited into playing Blackhawks, which for those listeners who aren't sure what Blackhawks is, I know in the local community we know it's a 
you know, St. Paul club, uh, that has, I mean, my boys play in it and a, a lot of kids that we know play in it. And the best soccer team in the world, the best soccer team in the world. All right. Fair, fair. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So Buzz Lagos, Minnesota soccer legend, <laughs> as they announce him at, uh, where he still coaches at SPA, um, invites you to play with his son, Manny at Blackhawks. So what was that like? Cause you go, you know, you've been playing soccer when you were over in Africa, you don't play soccer for a little bit. And this guy. Well, yeah. You. And so like, I, you know, I've been playing at the park and rec. Um, and then this guy invites me. And so now it was like, um, like it was the first time like that has a coach that was actually developing you, right? Park yeah. and rec, you would just, you know, kind of go there with your t-shirt and play and, um, and now like there was a coach that was like, you had practices and strategy, um, and you had other players that were, you know, you were surrounded by good, it was like a traveling team. So it was a lot different. And then, you know, you know, you, you would, I remember, you know, we played a team from Rochester once and we lost six zero. So, <laughs> it, you know, we learned like, and at that age too, is like, you know, where you were on your, your gross really mattered right so yeah um the, you know the so the idea was like how are you going to play correctly even though like physically sometimes you, you just couldn't couldn't challenge so um you know and and i think back then too you know the age groups were every two years so you had under 12 under 14 under 16 under 19 so it really like let you in the first year you know you were a strong member of the team um but then in the second year, you were one of the top three players. Oh, yeah. Right? And, cool. that, and that went on. And then under 14, you know, so under 12 that happened. Under 14, you know, it was, you know, maybe the first year you were, you know, maybe in the top six um, just because of physically. And right. then in the second year you were in the top two or three. Um, and then by the time we were sort of under 16, um, you know, we were we were good right away. And then under nineteen, we were, we were good, but it was different because physically, there was such a big difference between like seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen. Totally, years, there um, is. Depending on where you were in your growth, so it, you know it was, it was really cool um, to play. You know, there was some travel, but not like it is today. And whenever and was it one team for like under twelve, under fourteen? Yeah, yeah. just one. Yeah, so because right now right. there's like six teams right. for each. Well, right. So, well, there were multiple teams, but there was like an A team, a B team, a C team, Got but it. it was still a two year window. Got it. So it wasn't. And so, you know, we were always on the top team, but you weren't always like the best player because, right. you know, sometimes you were younger. Um, and then I think me and Manny, you know, we even on the state team, we played, you know, sort of up um and and developed and then his older brothers also you know probably played a big role in us because you know a lot of it is was like africa in the street was like in the lagos's backyard where where me and manny would would take on gerard or kevin or mr lagos um, right there's a lot of that yeah. in our backyard yeah so club soccer was was great and you know what's funny is we had all these rivalries back then and now at United Games and, you know, you see people that, like, you remember them from when you were 12 years old or 14. And some of them were friends. Like, we, we just hated each other. I mean, we we had, a <laughs> you know, a big Apple Valley rivalry and, um, you know, they beat us in the state tournament. And, you know, now they're 
their their board members and you know the different clubs of people like as you got older you understood that you know there was a special group of you that really shared a different kind of a passion and you went to college with some of them um and you developed and then you know on the we sometimes you would go on guest trips or they would come on with with you um so but in St. Paul and the Blackhawks we had a really tight knit group from St. Paul and uh, we we ended up winning the under 19 national championship and i remember like we the first round we didn't really you know have have a coach and you know this <laughs> this group of kids we started to play indoor soccer so every year then we would we would um and Mr. Lagos was our high school coach so he couldn't coach us so oh, sure. so as a team we would sign up to play indoor tournaments and we would just get a dad to kind of write his name on there. But sure. we would self-coach ourselves um, in these indoor tournaments. Um, and, you know, we would kind of carry what we learned. Um, and then, but, you know, eventually, um, you know, he, he coached us He coached us later. But uh, we were able to really develop a lot of leadership, understanding roles, what it was like to win. But this group of, like, you know, under 12 and 14-year-olds, we, we played together for seven, eight years and then, you know, ended up winning the national championship. And I think the difference is back then, too, is, we, we, you know, when you play with someone so long, you're friends, you're from the neighborhood, you'll do anything to protect them. And mm-hmm. so you're not worried about your person or you're not worried about you scoring, right? Right. It's about winning and taking care of other people. Yep. You know, and really having a team, a community. So I think that helped immensely build my skill set and others on the team because we, our whole goal was um, to make each other better. Um, we went to different schools, but we were, we were like our own, our own tribe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of my son's prior coaches, Ben Gaddis, yeah. was on that, that team. He speaks fondly of it. Uh, what, what do you, um, so, you know, I have a bunch of kids in soccer and know a lot of their friends and their friends, like you say, from all over the Twin Cities because they're playing on Blackhawks and then also pick up and in, in different, you know, they got to the blast and just play for fun and coach themselves. But what do you, what do you say to kids who, you know, we're in high school season right now and some of them are overcoming the injury or even just like, sometimes they get in their heads. What, what did you learn from, I mean, from any right. of your injuries or like how to come back from an injury or, well, or, I think, I think it's really difficult as a young person because the seasons are so short, They are right. And so they it's fly. like, like if you're hurt for three weeks in high school, it's like, that's the season. Um, so I, you know, you just have to really believe like, look, what's the big picture and what's your overall health and, you know, that it is year round. And, you know, I think we all have to understand that injuries are part of sports. They're part of life. And um, we can't do anything about them. You know, some people get labeled as injury prone, which is psychologically super damaging, um, negative energy and mm-hmm. probably helps you get more injured. And um, it is normal to get hurt, you know, mm-hmm. physically and emotionally. And so understanding how to process that as regular um, is really important. So just understanding that when you're injured, you have to do the rehab, take your time, get better. It's the same as practicing, right? 
Um, it's just a different stage where your body goes through a down period, something breaks, and you have to fix it. And you really have to be methodical about it, and you don't like it, but it's not going to change it, right? And um, and trying to beat it and come back quicker without doing the work um, just puts you more – it doesn't make you stronger or have superpowers, right? Like it just makes you more vulnerable to getting hurt again or damaging something in the, in the future. So um, really understanding – and I think this is more of a coach's and parent's perspective is like – Injuries are are part of the game, and mm-hmm. they will happen. They do happen, and there's no way we can predict them. You know, we can do our best to prepare, right, to eat healthy, rest healthy, emotional balance. Um, other than that, like things happen, and we have to be okay with like that's part of Mother Nature. It's wise, and good message for young athletes to hear for sure. Because it's hard to be patient when you're healing from an injury. That's at least that's what I I've seen in some. Right, and your team needs you, right. or you want to get an award, and like at the end of the day, it is what it is. Right, and like um, nobody, you know, nobody likes it. But when you shoot over the goal and you miss it, like no matter how hard you work, like you don't get it back. Right, <laughs> so you just gotta prepare yourself to be in a better position next time. What's something you learned from one of your favorite coaches that stands out or still is like a guiding um, inspiration? Well, you know, it was probably from a professional coach, um, but at a really late age in my life. Um, and I was always, a, you know, a, a good player and things ticked up. And, you know, there was like Bruce Serena and, and another coach. But, you know, we had a thing when I was playing with the national team and the whole team was in the center circle. And they were like, okay, keep the ball up for two minutes and then, you know, do some exercises, right? And so I would juggle and I'd like get to 10 or 15 and drop it. And, and he looked at me and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you can't keep the ball for two minutes? I'm like, of course I He's like, I'm going to stop myself. He's like, of course what? He's like, you're such so much better than that. Why would you ever like not try? I'm giving you a simple drill that's within your capacity. And I was like, oh, yeah, good point. Like, why wouldn't I do that? Right? And so it just changed the way I looked at the game and practice to say, like, every pass matters and every action matters. And so you know, giving a hundred percent effort to it, which means concentrating, which means follow through, which means setting up your teammates, which means like the whole process, you can't ever go 50% at something and expect good results. And there's no good reason to, right? Like right. you don't come and say, well, I'm going to take some shots and maybe score, or, like just try to hit, you know, I don't, I'm going to, I'm going to do some shooting and just try not to score, you know, like, no, like you, you try, you aim, but you got to be really deliberate. And there's literally no reason not to not do it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine if you're like, I'm going to go have a conversation and my goal is not to communicate. Like it doesn't work. Right? Like, <laughs> so if if you're going to be involved, like all the actions that you do need to be intentional mm-hmm. and you need to be at your best. And I think if you can keep that level of concentration up, it's surprising you. And, like, as a player, it was never hard for me to play in front of 100,000 people or get nervous. Like, what was hard for me is, like, the days nobody's watching, it's kind of raining and you're playing a team that you should beat 8-1 to 
And if you beat them 10 to 1, nobody cares. But can you still do the things that you should do the right way and set good examples? So that was one thing that he kind of taught me to be be deliberate hmm. um, and uh, in everything you do. And there's no reason not to give your best. I love it. Yeah, yeah that's stunning advice. And, and, I, and that's something you can't, like, again, you may not be able to run faster. You may not be able to get more skill, you know. But you can give your all. Mm-hmm. Right, like that's something a hundred percent within your control. So you give your all during Blackhawks, and you end up going to college to play, yeah. and you go with your best friend Manny. Yeah. So we went to St. Paul Academy together, and we had a good high school career. We won some state championships. We did lose my senior year to Apple Valley. Dang. Um, and so, um, and somebody asked me, like, if I ever got a red card, I'm like, no, I never have. But I did in high school, my my final game. I, <laughs> I, I made goofy eyes at the at the referee like that, for, and he threw me out. Um, so you got thrown out for that? Yeah. Well, I already had a yellow for encroachment. Oh, so okay. Two things. Yeah, but, two um, yellows make yeah. a red. Um, so, um, and so, but you know, that was that was you know you know great community and. I remember, like, we went to Dallas and we were playing in this tournament and we played really well and we were playing, like, against the best players in the country. And we are like, in it, we got, I think we took second and everyone was really surprised. This team from Minnesota. And, you know, we were kind of looking at each other and we're like, well, like, this is it. But, like, you know, next year this time we're going to be at different places. And he was, like, the top-ranked player in the country and was supposed to go to Virginia. Mm. And I was supposed to go to uh, Madison. And I was already enrolled there. And, you know, we kind of looked at each other. And I don't know how the conversation came up, but it, it ended up being a, I'll go if you go. And we both changed our minds and decided to go to Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Um, and so we, we came on the scene together. And, you know, I would say immediately we were um, – the best two players on the team, but uh, he was coming in as like the high school player of the year. So with a lot of clout and I was kind of came in as this unknown. Um, So our journeys were a little bit different. Like he started and, you know, I had to kind of work my way into the team, even though I was scoring, but we always support each other. And um, again, having to prove yourself being a younger person on the team with these rules based on, on age, not ability, was something that we had to learn how to navigate. Wow. I mean, that's one of my favorite things about soccer is watching friends play because there is something you can't totally describe that happens when friends play and when they're really good friends, how the ball moves. And it becomes almost meditative because they anticipate each other. Like sometimes when my boys get to play together on the same team in high school like they did last year and this year, it's a different – you know, when there's you're related or you know someone well or you've played with someone for a long time, that it's a je ne sais quoi, that friendship, right. Right. you know. And there's trust, right? Like, yeah. when, when and don't kick it that direction. Correct. Like, because <laughs> the, the difference is, is, like, you know that that person wants to help you. Yeah. Right? And that person, when you have the ball, is looking either to get it to you or to figure out how he can be an option for you. Yeah. So, so much more effort goes in it, but it happens subconsciously. Yep. Um, and that's why I think it's really healthy for kids to play in groups for longer and stay in their neighborhoods and develop these friendships because it develops a skill of like a good teammate. Totally. hundred percent. Well, we are in studio with Tony Sané and exploring sovereignty through soccer 
and all the different ways that you can set yourself free and be a better person, do things with more, you know, intention and be a better friend. Be a better friend. Be a better friend. (laughs) I'm Elizabeth Sullivan, owner of Soma Soul Sovereignty. I teach people to transform and heal their bodies, minds, and spirits and manifest higher consciousness. My hope with Soma Soul Sovereignty is that you open up to the power to heal yourself. We believe the power to heal is within each of us. It supports us coming home to ourselves and our authenticity. The alchemy of Soma Yoga, Ayurveda, energy medicine, and multidimensional healing is a synergistic approach that supports the self-healing state within and around us. It is filled with common sense and a deep understanding of the beauty for life and consciousness. It reminds us that our true divine nature is light aligned with love, and when we orientate toward it, much releases, heals, and transforms. Experience the power and freedom within and ways to support your body, mind, and spirit being unified. Soma Soul Sovereignty, awaken to your light within. For more information, visit elizabethsullivan.love or somasoulsovereignty.com. That's somasoulsovereignty.com. Would you like to create more freedom in your life? Developing higher consciousness and sovereignty is the currency for that freedom. Transformation expert Nancy Claremont Cart with the Joy Effect empowers leaders to transform their lives and impact using conscious leadership principles. Nancy is offering a transformational eight-week group coaching program, Conscious Leadership Transforms, starting October 24th to help leaders create more joy, abundance, and freedom. Register now at nancyclaremontcar.com. At the School for Higher Consciousness, we are committed to raising the level of consciousness on the planet by educating and empowering people to grow, evolve, and live well. We are dedicated to supporting people through this critical time on the planet. Our classes provide a path that deeply connects you to your inner power and higher levels of consciousness. We inspire, teach, and empower people to develop the skills and practices needed to energetically heal, grow, and connect more fully to their life purpose. Learn more at schoolforhigherconsciousness.com, schoolforhigherconsciousness.com. At some point, we've all probably felt like we're stuck in a rut when it comes to our health. Whether it's something physical, digestive, or emotional, you may have even gone to the doctor only to feel like the root causes weren't being addressed. So why not try another approach? This is Dr. Erica Way with Beyond Chiropractic. I'm a holistic practitioner that will take the time to empower you to transform so you can manifest your optimal life. At Beyond Chiropractic, we use QNRT, Quantum Neuro Reset Therapy. QNRT resets the brain's response to emotional triggers by addressing past and present trauma. By resetting the brain's response to emotional trauma, you can clear the way for your physical body to heal. Don't let unresolved issues hold you back. Go to beyondchiropractic.com and discover the answers your health deserves. Find out more and how to book an appointment at beyondchiropractic.com. Does your child struggle with sensory issues? Do they fight getting dressed in the morning or are they anxious to go to school? Are they easily overwhelmed and overstimulated by lights and sounds? At Whole Family Chiropractic, we love helping parents understand why their child is struggling and more importantly, how to help. We use safe, gentle, and effective neurologically based chiropractic to help your child's brain feel calm, safe, and organized. For more info, visit sensoryhelpmn.com. That's sensoryhelpmn.com.
Welcome back to Exploring Sovereignty with Elizabeth, and we're in studio with Tony Sane, who is a U.S. World Cup player and CEO and founder of the Sane Foundation. And we're talking about your soccer journey, career, explorations, and um, did you always know you wanted to be a professional soccer player? Um, well, the you know, I never said I was going to, and this is where, you know, <laughs> My mom, you know, would say, like, just, you know, pick what you want to be. I thought I'd be a lawyer. But um, even though I never said it out loud, everything I did sort of pointed to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I looked at my journals and stuff like that. and It talked about, like, who I liked, what I was going to do, how soccer inspired me, why is it such a good game. So I never said I'm, you know, picked out the goal until maybe I was 20. Mm. Um and, you know, I was – I graduated. Oh, I didn't graduate, but I finished school and I was my last season playing. And um, I was talking to the Madison coach who came. He's like, you know, I really wish would have came to Madison, but it's been a good four years, you know, competing against you and just seeing how you've grown and done this and become a good person. And he's like, so what are you going to do with your life, right? And I was like, well, I said, if I can buy a house – save $100,000, play for eight to 10 years, and then go to work with some kids, I think I'll be happy. Mm. So, you know, you know, whether I said this was my goal to do it or, you know, it was just part of, like, who I, I am, um, it depends how you want to interpret things. Sure. Well, I mean... I think you've done that and plus, which, you know, with all the work that you've poured forth, um, one thing that impresses me is just how much you seem to lead from the heart and having you like seen you come back to watch your high school kids play who are playing now. Um, and I know I mentioned this to you, but uh, that has really made a positive impact on those players uh, last year and, and this year, uh, knowing like there are alum that have really played at a high level but also made an impact in the world. Right. Well, I think my growth in the game started and, you know, Mr. Lagos would open up the gym and, you know, we were like in eighth grade, but there were seniors and there was college and then there was 30-year-olds. So we grew up in this multi-generational support. Um, and so, you know, coming back from college, working with the high school kids, being a pro, working with the college kids, now doing other things, still giving back. You know, I think one thing that, that is challenging for me is that I, I do a lot and I have a big network and I, and I don't like to disappoint people, people, um, and you don't want to come at it like you have a, a, a large head, but I, and everybody's busy these days. Um, I, I don't know if the average person has the level or number of, of commitments and responsibilities or asks that, that, that I have or the organization has, right? So that's the only hard part is, you know, sometimes you have to disappoint people, um, or sometimes you can't be where you, where you want to be, Mm -hmm. um, and really having people understand it's not because you don't care. Right? Oh, for sure. It's, it's like, you know, sometimes it's like an injury. Like, you know, there's only 24 hours in the day and, you know, you have a family and a mom and a job and, 
your own personal self-care. And so it get, it does get challenging um, in that. And um, and it's hard, you know, when people are disappointed. And it's, it's hard when you're a pro athlete and you know your mere presence um, inspires and lights up the room. And it seems like such an easy thing to be available for. But it depends on you know. It's a it's all of responsibility. It's a if right. it, it's it can be a weight. I mean, right. I know my brother who was a professional athlete. Right. Like it, I mean, you look you, at even people after the game signing autographs, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, how long do you stay in the line to sign autographs, right? When seven people might have flown in town from an out of state that your family and your nephew and your niece mm-hmm. are waiting in a room you know, to see Uncle Tony. Right. Right. And so, you know, if you sign autographs for two hours, you know, it's past their bedtime. Right. So those are just challenging situations. And um, that I would say as a pro athlete, um, it's, I don't necessarily know that the public can, can emphasize because they see the good and the money and the fame and, and just sort of think of them as an expectation. Without without necessarily understanding the full, the full scope, the full scope of it. Well, and I think it's important too. I mean, you're hitting on something that I like. I think people need to remember that people are human, and we have capacity, and to really reach that full potential. And I mean, you're doing a lot, right? And I think it invites other people to rise to that right to like to take on more to um care more for the community to care more for others to invest more in the community in whatever way that means right for some people it will be time for some people it will be money for some people it will be doing programs or you know but um and to be you know, give space for people to be who they are and, and to be that well without the expectation that you always have to show up as the professional athlete. Right. Well, I think in the game, that's where, you know, as I as I grew in the game, you know, I, you know, I looked at myself as a competitive and a winner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the national team, I played nine positions from the start of games. Um, I played six positions in the Champions League. So, you know, understanding like, you know, a winning mentality to do what it takes. Yeah. I think that for me, um, I can do so many things because I truly do enjoy them. And right. I, I enjoy winning. So it's not like, oh, no, I have to play out of position. Um, <laughs> there there are times in my career where I didn't necessarily agree with where I was playing based on it had nothing to do with me as a person or what I wanted, I just didn't think it was going to be the best way to help the team. Sure. Um, But more often than not, like I would, I think it made me play longer and be better by being able to play in other positions because now, um, you know, I understand how to pass to that person, but I also understand like what it's like to be passed to. So how am I going to make myself available or open? And like if I'm a right midfielder, what does the right back need? Because if I played right back... I know all the struggles of a hat. Like I know when he needs to come back. And sure. so now when I play that person, you know, I know exactly what, what they need as far as support and what their mind frame is because I've been there. That's, I mean, that's, if you can take that and parlay that into life, that 
that takes anyone far to be versatile, to know what another person needs, be able to put yourself in another person's shoes, roles, be willing to do what it takes to make a team succeed. Right. And it's, it's challenging because I think in sports, there's a clear definition of winning. Mm-hmm. And so when you play in a team, it's a short road like to the championship. And if you play on a championship team, like that one year, they say is worth more than a career, right? If you win one championship, you've had mm-hmm. a good career. In life, it doesn't necessarily translate always. Like people say, well, that's not good for my career development, hmm. even though it's good for your team winning the championship this year. And people understanding that if you're on a championship team, your career development will be fine. And so that's the harder thing, I guess, in, in as if like job satisfaction, like what people actually want to do or say, what's going to get them out of bed? You know, as a team, like I get out of bed because I'm winning with a group of people. Mm-hmm. In the workplace, I need to be personally inspired, um, believe in the team, but again, what's the end goal and where is it taking me? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's a bigger challenge in 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 life and i think that's my challenge is as i as i switch jobs is understanding that um uh a pro a pro professional environment is a finite amount of time it's very you know when the end of it success is easily measured based on that championship this season or the tournament where life isn't so the goals and the development are are much different mm-hmm. you know? What was your favorite part of the 2002 World Cup? Yeah, I tell people it was during the national anthem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, mean, I had a lot of friends that flew there and, you know, Nike made all these shirts and, like, replica jerseys. So I could look in the stands and see where, you know, like the 20, number two, 22s were, were all my people. Um, but it was really like the national anthem. So, like six months before the World Cup, you wake up and you tell yourself, "Don't get hurt today." <laughs> right? <laughs> like I've been waiting all my life for this. The only thing that's stopping me is if I get hurt. So you're praying you don't get hurt. You're still competing, and then, like all of a sudden, you're there, and you, you know you're in like you know a billion people are watching, and the national anthem starts, and you're like, "Okay, I, I'm not going to get hurt before here in start time." So I made it. I'm on the field. And everybody that helped me along the way, like we're sharing this moment together, whether it was like, you know, Ben Gaddis, the guy that used to go to the park with me and work on my crosses or somebody else that bought me a pair of soccer shoes or um, somebody that gave me a job was like, remember that kid? I told you I gave him a job so he could play soccer and the thing or this guy I used to practice with. You know, it was all just a story about some guy. Right. And people maybe didn't understand the value. But all those things ended up collectively becoming something really big, which people then could quantify, right? So everybody in my life had helped me get to the World Cup. And so we all shared in that moment. Um, and it was an opportunity for everyone to say, remember that guy I told you that was really good that we were working with? Like, there he is. I told you he was good. And there can be no rebuttal to that. He's playing in the World Cup. Like, So it wasn't like I made it. It was like we made it. And this is kind of like our moment. That's beautiful. And true. I mean, I think we don't always uh, give that long view of gratitude in terms of like all the little things that build to one of the grandest moments, you know, life moments or defining moments. So 
Yeah, that's really stunning. What get involved with what you're doing now? Like, you know, a call to action for some of the people. Well, I, who are listening, right. who either want to, you know, maybe they want to get involved and start playing soccer. Right. Maybe it's a younger person or maybe it's a parent or other right. community members. I mean, I think the easiest thing is go to our website or give us a call. I mean, the number one way that I want to get involved with the community is participation. So, you know, we offer, you know, free camps for thousands of people. So is this something that you want to come be at we have a community center that you can come to and have open, i love your community op- center open play for free and mm-hmm. we're running a free winter league with the city of saint paul we do saturday trainings for younger kids so we offer a lot of these services that we would say at zero cost too so we offer all these services so we would just like you to spread the word and come participate um if you're a little bit older and you want um a job we may be able to give you a job um Great service learning and tons of volunteer opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, we collect and distribute, you know, um, clothes and send them around the world. Um, we hire a youth to work. We have some workforce development. Um, and then we have other volunteer opportunities in, in sorting gear and, you know, sort of monitoring fields and food distribution. Um, that I think we serve like 3 million pounds of food a year. Um, so there's just a lot that you can be a part of your time-wise. Um, if you're considered like a subject matter expert, like we have a boards, committees, you know, we'd, we'd love people that can give some of their time to problem solve, whether it's ongoing or a specific task force. You know, we're trying to develop a child development center. So we're putting together a group of people that may help us figure out like we're, what's important to us in the community now. Um, and then lastly, I, I would say is financially, you can make a donation and, you can also um, support on on media and just spread the word. You know, sign up for our newsletter. You know, I think we're used to hearing negative things, and when you hear positive things, um, just reinforce that that you like that, and and that helps us, you know, gain momentum, and it it brings our it enlarges our community, um, and so which the goal is that we're all part of the same system. Hundred percent agree. Yeah. Kind of send it better. And so your website is? Uh, org. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tony Sane, for being in studio with us today and sharing your life journey with soccer and the lessons you've learned from it and inspiring others to get involved and take action and join. Thank you. We're better together. Better together. <laughs>